Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, I'm Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. And welcome back to Moms Going Boldly, where today we're discussing the Season 3 series finale, That Hope Is You, Part 2. So, Vicki, did you like this episode? I did like it, but... I thought a lot of it was dragged out longer than it had to be. Where it wasn't draggy, they went to the other extreme with some of the action scenes and the stunts, which were a bit outrageous and reminiscent of the Kelvin movies. Yeah. Which is the one thing I don't like about the Kelvin movies. The stunts are ridiculous, and I understand it's a TV show and and movies, but when it's that far out of the realm of possibility, it takes me right out of the story. Yeah, I liked it too, for the most part. There were things in it that I agree kind of took me out of the story, but there were things in it that took me out of the story and I didn't care because I kind of like, you know what, that's kind of cool, I like it. So we can talk about that as we move on. So this episode picks up where we left off from the last episode, which is, I think it was a three-part arc that brings us to this series finale, three or four parts. Yeah, at least three. Yeah, and this time we start on the Dilithium planet, where the orphaned Kelpian Sukal is living, and Saru and Culber are there trying to... I'm not exactly sure what they're trying to do. <laughs> they're, <laughs> and that was something that I was kind of like as I was watching the episode, and I really enjoyed all the interaction and the scenes, etc. But as I looked back, I was kind of like, okay, what was their goal here? <laughs> Go ahead. Well, I'm not exactly sure either, because if you think about it, it they're trying to have him shut down the, the hollow world. But I'm not sure why. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's walk through this for a minute. They're there. Right. They're hoping that Discovery is going to come back in time before they're irrevocably damaged by the radiation that doesn't affect Sukal, but it affects them. He's in a holographic environment where he's being menaced by his own fears, taking the form of a creepy, smoky, tentacly monster thing. They know that his emotional reactions causes the burn, somehow interacts with the dilithium and exploded dilithium all over the Federation. So they're either trying to stop him from having an overreaction before they die, Mm-hmm. In which case, he's going to have an overreaction. Or they're waiting for Discovery to return and beam them up. In either scenario, what's the point of turning off the hollow? Right. That's what I didn't understand. They did keep saying that he had to face his fears. So I imagine he has to face his fears so he doesn't have an overreaction when they want to take him, is what I imagine. But, yeah, I don't know why he... And, and wh- maybe it's just being kind, because beaming him off the planet might be too much of a shock for him. Maybe that's it, but I sure wish they had said that out loud. I was I was confused. Yeah, because I don't know how that helped him. I guess maybe it helped him to understand that this really wasn't a world. Well, or that there was more to... To the world. There was, to the world than this. There was outside, as right. you put it. It, similarly, I was unclear as to why he had to face his fear. I mean, they could have just beamed him away. 
without facing his fear and then he would have escaped his fear because the fear being the fear manifestation smoky tentacly thing wasn't going to come with them it was part of the hollow right and they could have then taken their time to unpack psychologically what had happened right so it was a little confusing for me so let's just go with they were really working hard so that he would not have an emotional outburst to cause a burn again Right, that's what I'm going to have to go with anyway. I think all of the theories that we have here make all the sense in the world. They're trying to be kind. They're trying to be compassionate and understanding of this person that's had, you know, no real interaction and is not prepared for the outside world. But they didn't really actually kind of explain that to me very well. Yeah. Maybe I'm just being ridiculously cold and unfeeling. (laughs) No, you're not. Because when you think about it, there isn't any reason why he had to shut the whole world off. Yeah. So they're starting to see the evidence of the radiation. It's causing burns on their faces. And, you know, they they know that they have very little time left to resolve this problem. And then Adira arrives, who has beamed down from Book's ship with radiation medicine. So they're very happy to see them. And they give them the medicine and they're able to hold out a few hours longer with this extra dose of medicine. And then something incredibly cool happens. Gray appears. I loved this. Yes. Absolutely loved this. And they explain that the hollow recognized Gray as an individual consciousness and created a form for him. I thought that was so awesome. And jumping to the end quickly, when Colbert says, we'll do everything we can to make you seen, I was kind of thinking a little bit about the doctor in Voyager. Yeah. Tell me more. He was a hologram. Yes. If the hollow recognizes Gray, can they not make Gray a hologram? Oh, yes, of course. Transfer his consciousness into some kind of matrix. And the doctor had that thing that he used to wear on his arm so he could go anywhere. The portable emitter. Which used to drive me crazy because why did he wear it on his arm? Anybody could grab it. It could fall off. There could have been a better place for him to wear it. But that's what I was thinking of. I think that's a brilliant idea because even though Discovery's technology is 200 years older than the technology, no, wait, that technology was actually from the future, like the 29th century. Yeah. So they would theoretically now, 3,000 years into the future, have that technology at their disposal. Yes. Good call. Good thinking. I didn't even think about that at all. That's cool. Culver hugs Gray. And Gray is so obviously emotionally impacted by this show of affection it was just a delightful scene so nice to see gray recognized and acknowledged yes it was very cool yeah that was probably one of my favorite moments in the episode meanwhile we have the conflict taking place at federation headquarters where we've got discovery inside this shield under the control of osira and we've got the viridian outside the shield trying to blow the shield away with its weapons. And we've got the Federation and Starfleet firing like crazy on Discovery, trying to destroy it because in there and it's in enemy hands, it's, you know, in in a very vulnerable place. Right. Um, They can't, of course, use the spore drive because Michael put Stamets in a pod and sent him away, much to his anger. And he actually tries to convince the Admiral to send him back so that they could go back to the Nebula to get Saru, when in reality he wants to go back to the Nebula to get Hugh and Adira. 
Right, and I 100% understand the way he feels. But they're in the middle of a battle. Does he really think they're going to send him back so they could take Discovery and go off to the planet to rescue Hugh and uh, Saru? And I think this goes back to what you have commented about all along this season, and that is Stamets have sort of de-evolved from the character that he was in season two. And he's gone back to sort of that scientist who's only focused on his science and not the collaborative nature of being a team member on a federation starship right and now he's only focused on his family and they, now he's only focused on his family etc again and now i'm not again i agree with you i totally understand his feelings but his sort of single-minded approach to that i think it would have been nice to see him wrestle with the recognition that there are things bigger than him and, and i don't mean that in a in a negative way because it's true his family is important our families are important of course but when you become a starfleet officer your oath to starfleet is important too and so i would have liked to have seen some kind of wrestling with that conflict right and we instead saw of this single-minded focus of i want my family and i hate you forever i agree so of course when michael shot stamets out in the pod she was immediately captured and then she's brought to the bridge where we get to see Osira doing her mustache twirling again. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a shame because Osira in the previous episode when she was Minister Osira and she was trying to engage in these negotiations with the Federation, she actually was this multidimensional character. And now she's gone back to, I must have this ship and everyone will die. <laughs> right, right. So she really <laughs> so she really wasn't this multidimensional character. That was an act. Well, except it wasn't because the Eli said it was well, true. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I, you know, I think we really got to see her true desire there. But now she's so angry about the idea of going to jail that she's going to go back to her snidely whiplashed right. routine. Anyway, <laughs> and I know you know that because you and I are of an age. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Anyway, so she's going to have Book tortured to right. get the information about where to find the dilithium planet. And she's going to make Michael watch, which you'd think, I guess she must not have had too much interaction with Federation and Starfleet people because that's such a classic tactic for information squeezing that you just know the Federation people know how to deal with it. Right. And then we also have on Discovery our escapee command crew who are being assisted by the dot 23 drones and so they're running around trying to get control of the ship again and then osira orders life support cut off so now the command crew is trapped on a deck where they're running out of oxygen so we've got all these different pieces of danger coming together we've got adira and gray and culver and saru and sukal on the dangerous planet that is either going to kill them by radiation or oh and then i forgot to mention that gray discovers that the ship is falling apart that's generating the hollow so they're all going to die right we've got book and michael who are going to be tortured possibly killed for information and we've got the command crew that's now being deprived of atmosphere so they're going to die and we've got federation headquarters that's being fired upon by the viridian and discovery oh and i should mention that before they go down to sick bay to torture book in front of michael michael actually convinces the admiral to let them escape because otherwise osira is going to poison the navar who have shown up to help which is also that was also a cool moment it was and then we didn't see him and then we saw nothing exactly <laughs> no. it was all just said oh the navar are here Woohoo! And we don't see any 
yeah, they, they spent their CG budget on other things, yeah. <laughs> which we'll talk about in a moment. <laughs> but it was still an exciting moment because those are always my favorite moments when the cavalry arrives. Yeah. So, and you know, fighting against the Emerald Chain was a hopeless cause. Mm-hmm. So it made sense that her mother, you know, might have advocated for this rescue mission. But she doesn't want to see them killed by this plague. She calls it a pesticide. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I thought it was some kind of pathogen. Anyway, so Michael talks the Admiral into letting them go, and he trusts her, and he knows something's up, so he lets them go. And so they go into warp, not spore drive jump, just regular old warp, because they still have dilithium from when they jumped from the past. They go into warp along with the Viridian, and they're in warp, and Burnham communicates to Tilly a message to break the nacelle to blow up the nacelles so that they'll drop them out of warp. So they have now the command crew who's running out of oxygen, but they've got a mission. So it's, it's all good. The torture scene with Book was unpleasant. And you could see that Aurelio, who is the scientist that Osira uses, was really kind of unhappy about what was happening. He was saying it didn't need violence. His serum would work. But it wasn't working fast enough. And when he argues with her, Osira actually chokes Aurelio unconscious. Yes. With a threat saying, when you wake up, if you do this again, you won't wake up the next time. Right. What? She's like the queen of overreaction, man. Yeah. It's like when she put her her nephew into the cage with the creature that ate him. And smiled. You know, it's just, it's again, so two-dimensional. What is the purpose of doing this? I don't know. She's inherently evil, I, I, I imagine. I guess. I mean, she wants to help her people, but not enough to not go around killing everybody. Um, They start to torture Book with the the crown of control that they had put on Stamets. And they said because of Book's empathic skills, it's going to hurt him even more. Right. So they start torturing him and he's yelling. And finally, um, Michael says, no, stop, stop. I'll make him tell you. I'll make him tell you. And so they let her get closer, which, of course, is exactly what she wants. Mm-hmm. And then she activates a force field and starts shooting people. And she frees Book. And she I guess she pumped him full of adrenaline. I think so. I missed that part. They talked about it afterwards. Yeah, because she said something about, I'm sorry this hurt you. And I'm sorry it's going to hurt more. So I imagine that's when she did it. Yeah. They didn't show us anything, though. No. No. But I thought that was kind of cool because she understood her shit better than they did. Right. That goes back to, you know, that great scene in The Wrath of Khan when they access the Reliance command codes and drop the shields. Such a great scene because it's like using your knowledge and technology to better your enemy. And that's what she did right there. She knew her ship. She knew what everything was around her. And she was able to utilize that to get an advantage over the enemy. I like those kinds of scenes. So they escape the sick bay and they're running around the ship doing a firefight. And she's going to try to get to the computer core to reset the system so that they can get control and get life support back up for the ship so the command crew doesn't die. Meanwhile, on the Delithium world, Saru is trying to get Sukal's trust and does so by talking about things on, I mean, is the world called... No. Kaminar. What's called? Kaminar. Kaminar. Thank you. I yeah. tried to say Kelpia, but that's not right. Kaminar. Talking about things on Kaminar and fixing a Kelpian meal. Not a meal of Kelpian, but a Kaminar yeah. meal. <laughs> <laughs> and he slowly but surely is getting Sukal's comfort level, even though Sukal still believes he's part of the hollow. He right. thinks he's a hologram. He's, he's slowly but getting his, atten- his getting his trust. And finally, and this is where I kind of start to go off the rails for me a little bit. He convinces him to go through the door to face his fear. Again... Sukal's agreement to go through the door and face his fear seemed to come out of nowhere. It didn't feel like he had been 
I don't know, just sort of like all this time he spent running from the monster and running from whatever the fear is. And now all of a sudden with Saru, he's willing to do it. Right. All of that took so long. And, and yeah. still didn't make sense. Right. It was just like an about face. Okay. Everything leading up to that just went on and on and on. He did seem to trust Saru a little bit more, but not in the way that he would all of a sudden say, okay, I'm game. I'll, I'll do this. After years of running from this, we're right. talking about behavior that was so deeply ingrained that all of a sudden he was like, okay, I'm willing to throw it out. It just, it, it didn't make sense to me. Right. So they go in and they're going to find out what's in behind the door. And so now we know this is where things are going to change because we're going to see whatever frightens Sukal enough for him to cause the burn. And, oh, Sukal goes to, to what he's supposed to be, Kaminar, and he says that Kaminar is empty. I didn't understand that part either. What was the... I think Kaminar was part of the hollow world. And right. apparently this whole hollow world was degrading. So that part of it might must have been gone already. Yeah, but I, again... I would have expected that at that point, Sukal, seeing that his world was starting to fall apart, would have started to become afraid. True. To me, that should have been a point of, of internal conflict for them where they had to really work hard to stop him from freaking out. Because everything that comforted him after the scary thing was, was now disappearing. He right. was losing all of the things that he had that to provided him with safety, security, comfort. It was all going away. And he was, I don't know, weirdly calm about it so it was just again it just seemed so felt like it took so long to get there and then they kind of wrote themselves into a wall yeah and didn't know how to get out of it so meanwhile let's talk about the scenes that were outrageous and yet fun at the same time on (laughs) discovery you know michael and book are escaping from the bad guys and they get into a turbo lift and they can't reprogram the turbo lift and so they go outside the turbo lift Okay. Now, in Star Trek The Next Generation, we got to see a turbo shaft. Mm -hmm. It was a big, long tube. Yeah. That made sense. Right. Here, we've got this whole world of moving boxes. Yes. (laughs) That give them a wonderful opportunity to get on the roof and fight on the roof and hang over the edge and, you know, do all kinds of stuff. And I was just saying to myself, this does not make sense. How is there that much space in the ship? Right, that right. That is a waste of space. At that point, I was confused that they were even on the ship. <laughs> I was questioning, like, I think I missed something. This can't be the ship. And yet it is. But well, I got to say, even though it made no sense to the world, I still loved it. I thought it was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was fun. You know, all of the running around, you know, just the way that was all, the way it had been created. It's a very creative scene and very creative idea. It doesn't make sense why you would waste so much space in a spaceship, you know, where you need efficiency of design to utilize, you know, get everything you need in it. That doesn't make sense. But still, I thought it was, it was cool to watch. So I was willing to go with it, even though I was like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, then there's this scene between Culber and Gray and Adira where they try to explain how Sukal caused the burn. And that didn't make any sense to me either. Well, I don't know that I could explain it. It did actually make sense to me. Okay, good. But I don't know that I could explain it so it makes sense to anybody else. Yeah. I'm not the science type. I watch the characters. I don't pay much attention to the science. So I did kind of understand what he was saying. 
subspace and how his scream carried through the subspace. Sure. I don't know. It just sort of seemed to me that it was too convenient to have this person who happened to have this chromosomal thing exactly. and then happened to be resistant to the radiation and then happened to be connected to the dilithium such right. that they could actually blow up all the ships. You know, I'm visualizing it in my head sort of like a uh, probability tree. Yeah. And it just got less and less probable that you got to the end of end branch. Like, really? Yeah, it wasn't the best solution they could have come up with, but I did understand what they were trying to say. And then if this were the case... I mean, to me, wouldn't it be prudent to find something to knock this poor person unconscious so that they would not have an emotional response and then deal with whatever they had to deal with? Oh, yeah. Just uh-huh. something to put them to sleep for a little bit? Right, true. But again, maybe they were trying to be kind. This person had been alone for so long to not just, you know, do things to him without his permission, which is an important consideration. But it kind of goes back to the same thing with Stamets and Michael. Michael was making a decision that was in the best interest of the Federation to put Stamets in the pod. And he was unconscious when he was in the pod and then woke up. And then get him away from the ship. In the same line of thinking, would not have made sense to just gently sedate Sukal so that he could not do whatever it is that he did that caused the burn. Until they've got him away from the planet or figured out what to do. I don't know. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka... Please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. And we're back. So on Discovery, we've got the command crew now with Michael's sort of weird announcement that she made over the intercom that only Tilly understood and interpreted as we need to blow up the nacelle. They're trying to get to the nacelle. They're running out of oxygen. We learned a really cool story about Owo. Yeah. That she and her family go for abalone when she was a kid, and she has a really good ability to hold her breath. She doesn't need that much oxygen. She could hold her breath for 10 minutes, she said. And so as they start to, one by one, collapse from lacks of oxygen, they give her the bomb and tell her to keep going. And so she has to go on her, her on her own. And I was like, you know, Owo should be first officer. And I thought of you when they did this. <laughs> Anyway, so she gets up there. She sets off the bomb. She is actually running out of oxygen. She has taxed her her limits as well. And she's going to be killed by the the explosion, except that then one of the Dot 23 drones grabs her and pulls her away and saves her life. And it's kind of a cool moment. And then they blow up in the cell and drop out of warp, which is a cool scene. All the command crew is unconscious. Osiris Furious. You know, she's got all these people running through her ship, and now they're blowing up the, her nacelle. And so she orders the Viridian to eat Discovery. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so the Viridian, which is a huge ship, apparently, opens up its great big cargo hold or whatever and just surrounds Discovery and encloses them inside the ship. It reminds me of an episode of Voyager where that happened. Do you remember that episode? I think it must have been not the Voyager itself. Maybe it was just... The Delta Flyer, but Harry Kim is knocked unconscious. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's not, it was an Enterprise episode. It was an episode of Enterprise, I think. Oh, damn, now I'm getting all my episodes mixed up. Maybe it happened in both episodes, but somebody's knocked unconscious. Okay. So the aliens who captured the ship don't know that that person is there. When they finally come to, they're able to 
help them escape because they can do stuff in the ship because the aliens didn't know they're there. I can't believe I can't remember what episode that is. That doesn't even sound familiar. Oh my goodness. I hope I'm not making this up. No, you're probably not. It's just, I need more than that. <laughs> I may be mushing two episodes together too. That could be I think too. That, I think the ship was captured in Enterprise okay. and absorbed. And I think the episode I'm thinking about, Harry Kim, may be a different kind of episode. I'll have to, I'll have to think about that. Look through. But anyway, Discovery is now inside the Viridian, the way Voyager was when it was taken inside the Borg sphere in the final episode of that series. Right. That was called Endgame, Endgame Part 2. And so she thinks that's the way she's going to stay, keep control over Discovery is by making sure the Viridian has this ship inside. Michael is heading for the computer core, and so when she gets there... After leaving Book behind to fend off all the bad guys, Osiris waiting for her. Yeah. So that we can have a nice little fight between the key bad guy and the key good guy. Yeah. And then I don't understand about the computer core melting wall. <laughs> Osiris pushes Michael into some kind of weird melting wall in the computer core. That's part of the computer core and thinks that she kills her. But then Michael fires through the melting wall and kills Osiris. What is the melting wall? Well, I couldn't remember if we've seen that before or if I just remembered it from this episode. I don't recall seeing it before. I don't know what it is. Okay, so I'm looking it up online. It's called programmable matter. Okay. Okay. That's it. Um, <laughs> okay. I guess it's like extra chips, extra computer chips. Oh. Programmable matter was a substance used in the twenty-third in the thirty-second century. Excuse me. So it is something that was added after they arrived in the future. Okay. So that's why we've not seen it before, and it consists of minute nanomolecules and has the abilities of redistributing and redesigning itself into pre-programmed shakes. So it's. It's something that was added in the future. Okay. It also was a convenient place for Michael to hide and then shoot Osiris when she wasn't looking. Right. So, Osiris dead. Michael gets the computer rebooted, gets the atmosphere back online, and the command crew all wakes up. Now, just between you and me, how could they not wake up without the world's most massive headaches? Oh, I don't know. From oxygen desperation. Right. But they all seem fine. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, they all seem fine. Book survives. He's fighting with that evil guy. What's the evil guy's name again? Start Zara? Zara, yeah. Yeah, anyway. And Zara does something that no one should ever do with Book. He insulted <laughs> Grudge. I know. <laughs> and threatened to kill Grudge. Well, bye-bye, Zara. <laughs> She's a queen. <laughs> Never threaten grudge. <laughs> so the cat's safe, which, of course, makes me very happy. Back on the Dilithium planet, um, Sukal has finally agreed to face his fear. He takes uh, Saru and the others with him into the like main living quarters of the ship and turns off the hollow. And right. once he does that, we get to see A... Our people turn back into their original forms, no longer in different shapes from the hollow, except for Gray, who's still, you know, and Gray's still there. Oh, wait, no, 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 Gray. Unfortunately, Gray disappears when the hollow is shut off. Right, very right. sad. He said that before he shut it yeah. off. He said that he didn't want to go back. and that's Which when, is very sad. But right. like you pointed out at the beginning, Culver's like, we're going to figure out how to do this. And we already know, based on your observation and analysis, that, that this is very possible. Well, hopefully. Cool. That's I, I love that. So anyway, so it's very sad because Gray goes back to his non-corporeal shape. But then we also see covered bodies lying on the floor. And 
Sukal activates the computer, which shows the last scene that was recorded by the computer, which is of Sukal's mother telling him it's his fault his family died and then dying. And he has a, a completely understandable breakdown, which causes the burn. I told you not to touch that. Oh. Really? <laughs> what are your thoughts? <laughs> You know, the first time I saw it, I didn't realize she said, I told you not to touch that button. I thought she was warning him never to touch that button until somebody comes to rescue you. I don't know. Did I get it wrong? I'm not sure. Because this time, this time I took it exactly the way you heard it. But the first time I thought it was just her, you know, giving him last minute instructions before she died. But this time, I took it exactly the way you took it. So, okay, well, maybe I'm wrong. I invite our listeners to tell us what they heard, because this time I heard it as, you you touched that button and you killed us all. That's how I heard it this time, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly how I heard it. But like I said, I could be wrong, because I took it a whole different way the first time I heard it. That was awful, if that's what... It was awful. (laughs) It was so awful. I was just like, oh, my God. Anyway, so this is what caused the burn, this terrible agony of a child losing everything. And totally understandable that, you know, why he did this. And so he feels terrible, and Saru's trying to explain to him that it's not his fault. and, And then, of course, the whole ship starts to fall apart. Right. Right. So they got rid of one fear. You know, he's no longer afraid. If he faced his fear, the monster's gone away. He's turned off the hollow. He's going to be okay. But now the ship's going to fall apart. And so they cluster together to hold each other in the face of this terrible thing that's going to happen. And discovery arrives. Yes. Beams them out and saves them. But before that happened, he realized that he was the one who caused the burn. Yes. Which I kind of didn't. He's been there since he was a child. Yeah, he had. I know it felt it felt like a very uh, a very mature leap that was out yeah. of character. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I found that a little shocking that he would be able to figure that out. Yeah, I agree. I, I suspended my disbelief at that moment. <laughs> Discovery beams them away. They are saved before the ship falls apart. They are saved before the radiation damages them. And now they've got a whole planet of dilithium to mine, which is totally cool, without Osira, because she's now in the morgue. Right. But I forgot to say, oh, shame on me. The scene where they actually escape from the Viridian is really cool. They beam off all of the bad guys from the ship, and I assume they beamed them back to the Viridian, and then warned their allies to stay away from the Viridian, and then they cause a warp core overload and drop the warp core into the Viridian. And then because Book has this empathic skill, he's actually able to run this war drive. I wonder how Stamets is going to feel about that. I know. I, I thought of that, too. I think he's probably going to be cranky about it. <laughs> he likes being the only one running the ship. But maybe I'm wrong. Well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> so they blow up the Viridian just as they board drive out black alert and shift out and so the bad guys are gone yay (laughs) so we get we rescue our people on the dilithium planet and then we have this wonderful montage of scenes afterwards that kind of wrap up all our storylines saru takes sukal back to kaminar Mm -hmm. and does as his mother requested um in a, a hollow message that she left for the rescuers which is to take him to Kaminar and have him float 
in an estuary when it's salty and his body will float and watch a meteor shower that happens regularly. Yes. And so, you know, it's Saru's taken on the responsibility of taking care of this man child, this grown child. Yes. And Owo and Reno fix the dot drone that died saving Owo, which is a nice little scene. And then Burnham is talking to Admiral Vance, and Admiral Vance says, you know that Saru wants you to be captain, right? And she's like, yeah, I know. And he says, well, I do too. And then she dithers a bit, and the next scene we see is her in the captain's uniform taking the captain's chair. And they have a new mission. They're going to take their spore drive, and they're going to go to the dilithium planet, and they're going to pick up loads of dilithium and deliver them to all these Federation and non-Federation worlds to help connect the universe together again, the galaxy together again. Yes. I wondered, and this is silly, but I did wonder, the new uniforms. The rest of Starfleet was already wearing those uniforms. Yeah. Why couldn't they have these uniforms? (laughs) Were they not officially Starfleet until they saved the world? That's a really good question. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. At first I was thinking, well, they needed them so that they would blend in with the other Starfleet people when they went out to all these planets but they were already doing that true or theoretically they were already doing that so i don't know right and uh you know we got a couple of glimpses of stamets who is not a happy camp no not at all there's going to be there's going to be trouble with captain burnham in the future yes she's gonna have to deal with stamets unless hugh can talk some sense into him because hugh is over the top happy that she's captain yeah you know and you know uh, and i think we've heard haven't we that he is going to be taking a more ship's counselor type role yes that's what i heard yes so perhaps the conflict is not going to be between stamets and burnham perhaps the conflict's going to be between stamets and culver because Hugh's going to be like you need to let this go right because he knows she did the right thing yeah indeed and that's the end of the episode did i miss anything important i don't think so i had to look up who adira was in the hollow. Oh, you mean um, the species that was being portrayed? Yeah, and I, what did you find? I, I think I looked it up the first time, but I didn't do it this time. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it was uh, this, the species that Poe was in uh, the short track. Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, that was such a good one. I like that one. The one where Tilly yes, the princess. X-A-H-E-A-N. I don't know how to pronounce that. Jain? Yeah, I don't remember how they pronounced it. Yeah. Wasn't going to go back and look. Yeah, because I didn't recognize that species yeah. right away. And, cool. and was Gray okay. changed or was he still Trill? Uh, no, Gray was Vulcan. Was he? Yeah. See, I didn't even... Oh, yeah, maybe... Okay, now that yep, yeah, now that I'm picturing it. Yep, okay. Yep. Okay. So, and, and why the Hollow did that? I guess it was just to show that it was breaking down. Right, because... We, we, t- we talked that last time, right? We did, we did, yeah. because it didn't make any sense. So that was it. That was the end of season three. I thought it was a good finale overall. You know, I think, you know, the things that we talked about, the kinds of things that were sort of like, "Mm, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And again, we've talked about this before. You know, no episode's perfect or very few episodes perfect. Right, right. Um, And and that's okay because it's the characters and the adventure that kind of keeps us coming back. And I, for one, am going to be coming back. Yeah, I'm not saying it was bad. It was just a couple of moments that took us out of. Yeah. Yeah. It took us out of the story. It's Agreed. nothing that would keep me from watching it again. Exactly. And yeah. I would actually would watch it again. But it's nothing that would keep me from continuing to watch the series. And that's going to be coming up. That actually came up as we record this. Yesterday, yeah. The, the next series premiered yesterday. We are about a week behind. Right. 
um, due to, you know, all kinds of different things. Right. And it was funny because in my notes, I wrote down at some point, Burnham says she doesn't believe in a no-win situation. Yes, I did. And I even said, shouted out loud, Kobayashi Maru. Yeah, which is the name of the first episode in the fourth season. It is. Yeah. It is. Actually, I think it was during her fight with uh, Osira that she said that. Yeah, she was in a fight with somebody. I can't remember if it yeah. was the Zareth or if it was Osira, but she did say that. So that's the first episode in the fourth season. The first episode of the fourth season. That is cool. Which I haven't watched. Did you watch it? I have not yet. No. Yeah, I didn't want to watch it because I'm easily confused. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch it after we're done here. So unless there's anything else, I think we can wrap up this podcast. Yep. Okay, so we invite our listeners to join us next time, which is going to be in a couple of weeks. We are coming up on the Thanksgiving holiday as we record this, so we're going to push out our uh, recording of the next podcast just to accommodate that holiday. So the next podcast will be coming out in a couple of weeks, and it's going to be episode one of season four of Star Trek Discovery, Kobayashi Maru. We hope you join us then. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter at Ross Bugden, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.